This is the Earth Regenerators Podcast. So this episode uh, is uh, dedicated to Tom Ash. Um, I recorded this with Tom in 2019 at a back room at the Localizing California Water Conference. Um, a few weeks after we recorded this, uh, Tom passed away, and this recording has not been released since then. So um, just wanted to say thank you to Tom, and uh, we miss you, and this is uh, dedicated to all the good work you've done over the years. So thanks. My name's Tom Ash. I've been, uh, I was a horticulture major in college, um, have worked for 30 years in the water, public water agency world uh, as a water conservation specialist. My horticulture degree came in extremely handy because most of the water uh, that we use uh, is used outside, goes outside, and I was uh, the first horticulturist um, ever hired at a water agency in Southern California 30 years ago. Um, so it's been a, a good use of my education um, and got me into something that I had no clue about because in college they never once talked about water, um, even though that's the one thing you need for agronomic, horticulture, botany sort of existence. So um, that was um, interesting to find a different kind of niche to be able to participate and do a lot of tremendous things. Uh, and one of those things turned out to be water rate structures that are sustainable for the agency and the environment or the water supply. And another name for that is, is called water budget rate structures. Uh, how that came about was uh, in a five-year drought, six-year, five or six-year drought, 1987 to 1992, uh, I was working at the University of California Cooperative Extension as a horticulture and water advisor. And uh, the university was asked to loan someone uh, to water agencies during the drought. And they turned to the low man on the totem pole, that was me, and said, here, you go help water agencies. So I got a seat inside of a water agency in Riverside and uh, learned that that's where, in the public agency, the public water providers, that's where a lot of stuff really happens. That's where it happens, not out in the landscape or with the landscape industry or a homeowner or whatever it might be. It was really the policies and um, actions of the local water providers I discovered were enormous. Um, a drought obviously focused people on things, but what it did at water agencies was they were selling less water because it was a drought and they asked people to save and people responded, as people always do when they're asking a drought to do something like that. And when they sold less water, they lost significant revenues. And then they would have to raise water rates and they would make their customers angry. The customers would say, you ask us to save, we did, and then you raise our rates. So it creates this automatic friction between um, the people who actually own and fund everything at a public water agency and the water agency themselves, the staff, the elected officials, so forth. So that scenario um, plays out all over the state of California, and it's part of a conglomerate of reasons why water agencies don't want to talk too much to their customers. They're afraid of their customers. They don't because they don't really understand some tools that they could use that the end user and the owner of the public water systems um, can understand and appreciate. So I learned then why agencies lose necessary revenue when they sell less water. And it's because most of, the most of the costs of a public water 
agency are the infrastructure costs. Maintaining, operating, uh, fixing the infrastructure, the pipes, the pumps, the reservoirs, keeping it all in perfect working condition because people expect that you turn on the tap and the water comes out. It's clean, safe, and it's always there. That's unusual in the world because in much of the world, people have to walk for a few miles to get their water. So we have a tremendous system, but people don't understand how it works because everything's underground or it's in a tank that you don't see, unlike the power lines that go down the street. So you can see that and you kind of get it and you see your energy bill and you hear about that and, you, and energy costs go up and people pay it and don't really complain much because they can kind of see where their dollars are going. You don't see that with water. And the other aspect of water that people do see is it falls out of the sky for free. So a customer, an angry customer one day at one of the water agencies I was at, um, called customer service and said, we don't understand anything on our water bill. We couldn't possibly use this much water. And oh, by the way, water's free. Why do we have to pay for it anyway? And that got me, that really triggered my mind. And I, they forwarded that call to me and I listened and I said to the Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I agree with you which shocked them. They were expecting a fight and they were angry and they were geared up for it. I said, well, let me, let me tell you what we really do. And I explained to them that we bring water from, in Southern California, hundreds of miles away, put it into this treatment plant, clean it up so it's safe for you to drink. We pump that water to a reservoir in your um, neighborhood and then through the underground pipes, it goes to every single parcel, every single home, every single business and you turn on the tap and there's the water. As I explained to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that process to go from 500 miles away to your tap costs you on our bill about $1.50 a day. Hmm. I said, if you can find water cheaper than that, I want to know about it. Because I'm gonna, I want to buy that water too. That $1.50 is the infrastructure Is the infrastructure, cost. the fixed costs. Excellent question. Um, those are costs that an, a public agency has every single hour, every single day. The cost of water for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I explained to them on their bill, was actually about two-tenths of a penny per gallon. You can go to 7-Eleven and buy a gallon of water for $2. That might be 4,000 times more than the cost of the water we're delivering to you. And our water is actually safe, the public water, because it has to meet stringent standards. Where that bottle of water in Kmart doesn't have any regulations that it has to meet. So you don't know really what you're drinking. But people don't know that. They have a different perspective on that. So as I explained this, I said, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, you know, you don't have to take our water. Um, we can take you off of our system. We can just you know, shut off your meter and you can go find water. Um, but what Mr. and Mrs. Smith saw was the costs are really extraordinarily reasonable for what they get. And what they get is reliability of the most vital resource that we have, that we need for all, all of our economic and human needs and environmental needs. Water. It's the most important resource we have. So that changed their perspective of the water provider and their water bill and their usage. Yeah, it turns out that they were wasting water. They didn't know it. They might have had a leak. They might have had the landscaper turning up the, the controller so the water's you know, too much at night, every night, whether the plants need it or not. And, and we helped them lower their water bill. Great. Um, but from a big picture for water agencies is they have to design their rate structure so that people understand what's the appropriate amount of water to use. So that's called a water budget. That's customer level information. And the other part of the bill has to be recovering the cost of the public agency. A public agency is not allowed to make a profit like a private sector company would be, like a computer company. Um, there, there are, there's laws in the state of California that says a public water agency can only charge the actual cost of delivering that water. So great. That's fine. It's a public water agency. That's exactly how it should be. 
But most water agencies take the fixed costs and they say, geez, that's a lot. We don't want to put that on the water bill, on the meter service charge or the meter charge. Um, we want to put some of that cost in the water cost so that the cost of water goes up and then people will use less. Sure. You're economic theory, to right? use less, you pay less on your bill. That's right. The problem with that is that when you move fixed costs into the variable cost of water, and then you sell less water or use less water for whatever reason, you have low flow, you put in low flow toilets and shower heads, you change out your landscape from uh, turf and a palm tree to uh, a native landscape or a low water use landscape, you're going to use less water. The water agency is going to lose necessary revenue, fixed revenues, fixed costs. So they're going to have to raise rates. Then that triggers that scenario of customers not liking what the local water provider is doing. And so they complain. Um, and there's a there's dis-ease there. Um, so I, in the middle of that 87 to 92 drought, um, Irvine Ranch Water District in Orange County asked the university to transfer me from Riverside County down to Orange County because they had some ideas that they wanted to, they thought that I could help them implement related to conservation or water use efficiency um, and rates. So sure enough, we sat down my first day at the new water agency and they said, you know, we do not want to lose money, fixed, cost, fixed revenues, when we sell less water. And this is not the last drought we're going to have in California. This was very visionary for a water provider to look out into the future, the forever, and say, yeah, you know, this is the kind of place we live in. We're going to have drought. We're going to have water supply issues. So how can we incentivize people to use less water and recover the costs that we need? So that, that was the first step of opening up the box and opening up our minds to create a water budget tiered rate structure. And it was the first one of its kind um, ever. Uh, this was done in 1990. Um, fast forward to today, there's only 20 agencies in California that use this particular philosophy of rate design. But I can tell you that every one of those 20 agencies does not lose money when they sell less water because they've designed their rates to recover most of their fixed costs separately from the cost of selling, or the, of selling water. So they've separated the two. That's great. That's transparent. That's actual business of the water provider. Most of the costs are fixed. The water is relatively cheap, but we need to be efficient with that water use. So what we added on the water side of the bill were tiers and allocations or a water budget for each individual customer based on their specific needs. This had never been done before um, and was considered to be too hard to do. And in fact, that's the perception of... What, what, what part was too hard to do? Targeting it to the specific parcel or... Yeah, the, the data, the customer level data was considered too hard to do uh, how do we get that data? Um, and it's going to cost too much. And the, the customers are not going to, this is too complicated. The customers are not going to understand this. So we're not going to do it. So status quo and most water agencies, and I mean 95 to 98%, most water agencies in the state of California, when there's a drought, like the drought we just came out of, lose revenues. They lose fixed costs when, because people use less water during a drought and or, and or mandated by the governor in 2015, saved 25%. People responded. We did as a state. Agencies lost millions and millions of dollars that they need to keep that system running, operating perfectly. So water is safe and reliable. Except those agencies of water budget rates because we they flip-flopped their philosophy and they understood that we need to recover those fixed costs so they have a higher fixed charge on the water bill. It's not 100% of all their fixed costs are covered by that charge because um, you still want to have some impact on the water side of the bill. But when that's done, as we did in Irvine, um, 
and the water budgets are added to that. On the water bill, every customer, every month, gets a message of how efficient they are. And we named the tiers. We, had, we happened to have five tiers. Um, the first tier was the indoor allocation. So if you had two people, or three people, or 10 people, you got an allocation of X number of gallons per person per day, depending on the number of people you had for your household. That's fair and equitable, fits everybody's needs. That's sort of your human right to water. Human right to water, there it is. The lowest cost water that you have is gonna be charged at that lowest rate for X number of people on your, in your household. The second piece of the allocation was you have a property, you have a landscape, um, you have a pool, you have horses, you have whatever you have outside. So we gave an allocation for that based on science. So I came from the University of California, we knew exactly how much water different plant materials needed. We based it though, uh, our allocation, on turf grass because everybody had it in 1990. It was the most predominant landscape style. There might be a tree in that, there might be some shrubs and so forth, but that was a generous allocation. So we had the science and the data to go down to the customer level parcel level to say, and we would ask the customers as well to verify this, how many people do you have in the house? What's the size of your landscape? Do you have any other water needs? Yeah, uh, we have some medical needs that we need, or um, we have um, daycare at our house. Uh, so we have you know kids here during the day. Whatever that need is, we wanna make sure we gave water for it. We also at that water district had in 1990 about half of the district service area was agriculture. So we gave a water budget to those farmers based on not the indoor, there was no people, but it was all outdoor. It was the size of the farm that you had. How many acres? What the weather, what the evapotranspiration was every single day, added it up for a billing period. Could be 27 days, could be 30 days, could be 35 days. The exact weather was, um, input into the billing system every single day for landscape and outdoor allocations, like with farmers. And their, the efficiency target for farmers was their crop. So if they were a citrus grower, we know from university research how much water citrus needs. It's about 65% of what turf grass needs. So it's less water need. Um, and there are crops that take more water than citrus. Avocados, for example, um, need almost as much water as turf grass. Um, pomegranates need half as much water as avocados. So depending on what the farmer was growing, he would get an allocation for his needs, for his crop. A little bit of water for frost protection and soil preparation, the farmers were satisfied. And it turns out they were very good irrigators. Um, turns out landscapers, we're terrible irrigators, partly because they don't pay the water bill. Farmers do. And the more they have to pay on their water bill, the less profit they have. On the ag component, I, I see in a suburban setting, if you're a homeowner, uh, you most likely don't have a water right, right? You'd be right. buying water from a municipal supplier. Right. Um, say in the if you're a farmer, you might have a water right. How would that work into like the water right system in California, kind of the more like use it or lose it doctrine? It seems like you're kind of contrary to that. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do those two things mm -hmm. work together? Water rights really don't even play a role in a water budget rate structure. Yes, you may have a water right. However, the argument could is that, well, why would you waste water? Why would you potentially harm your crop of more plants are killed with overwatering than underwatering. Um, yeah, you may have a right for 100 acre feet, but if you only need 70, why would you dump that water onto your property? Um, you can assign that someplace else. You could sell that water. You could do whatever you want with that. And it's not a water budget rate structure isn't meant to physically restrict how much water you could use. It's to um, charge for the cost the actual cost of delivering an efficiently used amount of water, so that's gonna be a low cost, and then give you a signal, we had five tiers, indoor, outdoor, penalty, excessive, and abusive. We named the tiers. So it wasn't tier one, two, three, four, five. That gives you no information. We call you a name. So we, we sort of added 
I guess today you call it social norming or I don't want to say guilting. It wasn't meant to guilt. It was meant to give you information. Here's how many people you have. Here's the size of your landscape. Here's the weather. Here's how much water. Here's your allocation. Here's how much water you used. And how did people respond to being called abusive? <clears throat> Great question. Um, very insightful question because most people would assume that if the bill was higher, um, they, people would call you or be angry. I got more phone calls from our customers, and this was not a small agency. This was, when I got there in 1990, it was about 50,000 accounts. And when I left, about a decade later, there was 120,000 accounts. So it was a growing area in Orange County. Uh, I got more phone calls from us calling customers abusive, who in fact were using 100% more water than they needed, than, than I got from customers angry about the cost of the water. We were charging them in that tier eight times the cost of water, but they were most interested in being called a name. And I said, I'm sure you're a very nice person. However, your water use is way off the charts. So we want to help you save that money, not have that water running down the street, polluting our bay and our ocean, uh, and you paying for it on the water bill. And I said, yeah, I don't want to waste water. Um, so it was just a method to get their attention, really. But responding to the language more than the actual bill. More than, they responded more to the name calling and the language than they did to the cost of water. All right. So that taught me some lessons. Um, the water budget tiered rate structure at that water agency worked perfectly from the first billing cycle till today. It's been about 27 years, 28 years. Um, the water use, the overall demand for water dropped 60% in five years. That agency did not have a conservation staff, did not have a conservation department. We had a rate structure and we had a guy, a horticulture guy sitting in the PR department, the public affairs department. Um, I would talk and talk and talk with customers, whether it was a homeowner, homeowner association, city, developers, whoever. Um, here's what we do. Here's why we do it. And they bought in because they, they had a personal motivation of having a low water bill. Fine. I don't care what they, what was their personal motivation. Didn't matter. Um, we gave them enough water to do anything they wanted to do. Just don't go over that or else you're going to get hit hard with the rates and name calling. So a 60% reduction in five years and the aid in water use and the agency did not lose a penny because we were recovering the fixed cost pretty much separately from the cost of water. In a decade, so from 1990 to 2000, we avoided the purchase of $75 million of water that our customers had they continue to use water at the level they were in 1989, they would have paid for. So the customers turned out to be extremely happy. When we did surveys, we found that 85 to 90% of the customers understood the water budget rate structure. That was key because most water agency people said, oh, people are never going to understand this. It's too complicated. There's too much. No, the customers got it because it was tailored to their individual needs. How many people do you have? Uh, if they have twins next year, we would increase our allocation. They would call us, we would increase our allocation. You have more people in the house. So a variance or an adjustment program for their allocation was a prominent educational piece for the water agency. Every single bill would go out and say, hey, if something changes, if you put in a new landscape, if you, you know, have kids, if mom and dad come and move in, just tell us. We'll give you an appropriate allocation. So they were amazed that the water agency gave them something for their specific needs. And again, that was 50,000 to 100,000 parcels. That's a lot of data. Um, but it came to us. We would insert it in the billing system. And it was there to calculate a monthly allocation based on the weather. That was the only real change that would happen. The number of people didn't change very often, if at all. Size of the landscape didn't change. Uh, the size of the pool didn't change. The only change was the weather. So it's a bell curve, basically. It's hotter in the summer and cooler in the winter. So the allocation would change. 
isn't just one number straight line, that wouldn't be very efficient, wouldn't be very accurate. So people were amazed mainly that we could do it, that we could do it down to their level. So other impacts of that, positive impacts of that water budget rate structure, there wasn't really any negative impacts, to tell you the truth. Uh, the agency had what they needed, cost recovery. The customers had what they needed. They had an allocation of water that fit their needs at the lowest rate. And they were given a signal if they exceeded that allocation, which could be as simple as a leaky toilet or a broken sprinkler head or the gardener turns up the water because he's fertilized and he doesn't turn it down. He doesn't pay the water bill, so he doesn't really care. Um, we stopped. So the impacts were we eliminated water run water runoff down the street that had nitrates, phosphates, pesticides, and herbicides in it that would that we put onto our landscape to make it green and lush, and it was being washed off by overwatering. And that water was running to Newport Bay and out to the ocean. In nineteen ninety, the Newport Bay was heavily polluted with nitrates, algae bloom, uh, fish die off, and that was not a good thing. That bay is part of the Great Pacific Flyway. So here we had a polluted situation surrounded by homes that were causing, homes and businesses and landscapes that were causing that problem because of overwatering. And it was the rate structure that changed that dynamic. And now, there, we, in fact, we cut the runoff by 80% wow. and the non-point source water pollution by about 70% going into the bay. The bay health changed fast um, and we were able to take dollars from customers that would over irrigate or over water or exceed their allocation who got these penalty charges that went into a one fund couldn't go back in the daily day-to-day -day operational funds that expanded all the conservation programs and efficiency programs we could pay for anything that people wanted to do. Take out their lawn. This was back in 1990, before turf rebate programs. We had the money to do it ourselves. We didn't have to write a grant. We didn't have to go to the Metropolitan Water District. We didn't have to go find money somewhere to do this. We would pay people to get efficient because it didn't hurt the Water District at all. In fact, that was good because then we wouldn't have to build more infrastructure to accommodate twice the water demand. You have to have twice the reservoirs, Twice water. So you can still have growth with Absolutely. the same amount of water. We had significant growth. That agency grew threefold in 15 years and used less water wow. than in 1989. So we, we had a water quality impact, positive impact. We had um, revenue savings for our customers, $75 million dollars. In 10 years, $7 million a year, not a bad savings for your customers. We had re-election of the public officials every single year by landslide, typically, because the customers got it. They understood. They were paying the lowest rates. They had an allocation for themselves. Uh, we helped them have low, low water bills if, if we could. Um, what's not to like? Sure. And they had reliable water, and, and uh, we weren't overbuilding an infrastructure for a water demand that wasn't necessary. Right. So I'm stunned, actually, that every water agency in California has not gone to a water budget tiered rate structure. However, what that experience of that agency, and then a dozen or more agencies um, now with water budget rate structures, is that this data to, to um, determine water budget allocations is really powerful. And today, it is state legislation. That was passed in 2018. Um, the state had, in the middle of this very serious drought, that's, and we're going to have more of those droughts out in the future, um, ask everybody to cut 25%. We were able to show with the data that we had that that was an inequitable way to go about water conservation in California. 
many people were already extremely efficient. And if you're asking them to cut 25% more, um, that's not really fair. And there's people that are using 200% of, of what they should. And if they're asked to save 25%, they're still over uh, wasting yeah. water. So it's, it's hitting the disadvantaged people harder. It's absolutely. When water rates are raised, it hurts disadvantaged low-income people more. But that's the, that's the rate design that most agent, agencies have. And they say, well, that's, you know, that's the way we've always done it, and that's the way it is. And, that's, uh, and the rate consultants give them the same rate structure, just a little higher price every couple of years. So low-income folks really do get um, the short end of the stick. Uh, and people on the other end of the income scale don't care. In fact, their accountants pay for the water bill, pay the bills, and they don't even notice. So we hit on something that was equitable and that could um, be used across the state. If the equation for a water budget includes the population, then it's going to be localized. If it includes the area that you're irrigating, that's localized. If it includes the local evapotranspiration rate, that's localized. So this rate design actually localizes water efficiency and water need for that particular agency and their customers. So that's what the state then discovered was so um, valuable about a water budget as a tool in legislation because it could be applied whether you're in Palm Springs or Eureka. And it was going to be relative to what water demand, well, sorry, not demand. That's, that's our water language. Oh, we got to design for demand. What if demand is like way off the mark, which is what we found in that water agency. We want to forecast and understand what the need is. How many people do you have? What's the weather? Uh, what's a, a relatively efficient need inside and outside. So m going from water budgets in 1990 to the, from the first local agency to deploy them in a water rate structure and have the success that we had, 60% reduction, stable revenue, happy customers, satisfied customers, um, is now being the data is being gathered at the state level for water budgets for 410, the 410 biggest agencies in California. Aerial imaging is being um, gathered and the aerial image can provide computer software with an understanding of what's hardscape and what's irrigated. And then the irrigation, the irrigated area is calculated via computer learning. The Department of Water Resources in California is going to provide all that data parcel by parcel to those 410 agencies. Um, and then those agencies will have an allocation to meet by 2025. That's the first year. Of the, so right now it's a data collection process mm -hmm. and setting efficiency standards. Um, you know, we have a lot of grass in the state that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And the standards will be set in such a way to where it's going to be pretty hard to grow grass and have a low water bill at the same time. However, at a park, at a school where you need grass to play on, that's a special landscape and 100% of the evapotranspiration will be applied to those landscapes. So we're going to have a lot of data to understand and apply to be as fair and equitable to people as possible. That's going to be at the state level coming down at agencies via this legislation that was passed in 2018. Agencies have the opportunity to take that data and take that information and turn it into a water budget rate structure, just like we did in Irvine 28 years ago. And other agencies have done since then. And have stable revenue, have that efficiency target for, for customers to understand and aim for, and the customers will do 95% of the work, not somebody right. running around telling people how much to water or, oh, you need to water five minutes, three times a day. No, we don't need all that. So what are the barriers about implementing this? Well, why mm -hmm. would be, you know, water districts be opposed to this? I mean, I, I th you're, you know, changed 
shaking up their whole rate structure, right? So it's a bit disconcerting, maybe from the internal side. It's a scary side. thought. You know, just, just the concept of that is a, is a scary thought for a public water agency. Sure. Yep. Um, barriers. What they would tell me, what agencies would tell me is it's too much data that we don't have. It'll cost too much to get that data. We'll have to upgrade our billing system. And the, it, it's just too hard. You know, we, we're already busy. Right. Um, and the customers won't understand it. So it's probably five reasons. And it was consistent. Every water agency, ah, this is, ah, we don't need that. We don't want that. It really became, as I discovered, more of a psychological problem of agencies wanting to maintain the status quo. Sure. Hey, we got elected here. You know, we, we do this. We do that. We know what we're doing. Let's just do that. So it was somewhat the unknown, even though agency after agency that has this, although there's not many, there's only about 2% in the state, um, they were having amazing success with stabilizing their revenue. In other words, reducing their financial risk if they sold less water. Customers were happy. Officials were getting reelected. I'm not sure what the barrier is, but it's certainly there. I think this legislation is going to help agencies open their minds and getting the information out like we're doing today, you know, providing them some information that you, you need to think about this. You need to open your mind. I always include a slide in my presentations to agencies or whoever it might be of Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, and Billy Bean. Albert Einstein was asked by um, President Roosevelt to join the Manhattan team to build a nuclear weapon to end uh, World War II. And the problem was, that Einstein recognized, was the Germans were way ahead on this task. And they're German. He said, we can't outwork them. They're German. And he was Austrian, so he knew. So we have to think smarter. Or his famous quote was, think differently. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and keep having the same results that aren't working, we need to think differently. Steve Jobs at Apple in the 80s, 1984, actually had the advertisement come out, coming out, think differently. But Steve Jobs would say, we think differently at Apple and it, it allows us to do things that other computer companies wouldn't even think about. Great. And he built what today is the biggest, most successful company in the world. The last example, Billy Bean, is obscure, sort of. He was a general manager of the Oakland Athletics. and Not he, too obscure if you grew up in the Bay Area. Is, that's right. Um, it shouldn't be obscure in California because it's a great story. It was a great movie. Brad Pitt was the star, right? And it was a great book called Moneyball. What Billy Bean had to do was win games with the lowest budget in baseball. So how do you do that? You can't go out and buy the best players. So he figured out that data and analytics were his route to find players who could get on base and score runs because that wins games. And it was players that nobody else thought was any good. So he used data and analytics to go find those players in obscure places, pay them less money because they were just thrilled to be in the big leagues. And sure enough, he won games. And that changed baseball. Baseball is a 100-year-old institution, 100-year-plus. So is water in California. It's a 100-plus-year-old institution. So I would suggest if Billy Bean can change that institution that was based on you know, could you hit, could you run, could you field, could you throw a five-tool player, which Billy Bean was. He was a first-round draft pick um, when he came out of high school. He didn't make it. He played for nine different teams. So what was the... It, he, he was the model of what they were looking for, including he looked great in a uniform. He just looks like a ball player. Didn't matter. He couldn't get on base in the big leagues. He couldn't hit the curveball or... His mind was too, he, he was distracted. Um, sure, he, could, he had a strong arm, he could throw, he could hit for power. He found those players, he could buy for less money and win games. That's what we have to do in water. 
in California. We need to have more water, more winds, on less money. Because we just don't have the money to buy more water or build desal plants all up and down uh, the coast or whatever it might be. So I think that the, the Billy Bean and baseball data and analytics example is perfect for the water world and that we can change it. Sure. And then one of his big hurdles was all these guys that had been doing baseball for years. I know how to do it. It's my gut feeling. Yeah. This is we make decisions based yeah. off of how we feel. And then that trusting of the data is counterintuitive at times, right? Those scouts who would go out and try to find players, and it's a it's a great depiction in the movie of these scouts sitting around the table, these old codgers, you know, going, ah, back when Babe Ruth was playing. And, uh, so we know, Billy Bean, you're crazy. This is never going to work. We're out of here. You know, you don't need us. We're good luck. Guess what? It worked. Because it was just thinking differently and trusting the data. Right. And that's what a water budget is. It's data. Yeah. It's scientific. Well, what Billy Bean did in baseball was scientific. This guy looks terrible in a uniform, can't run very fast, doesn't hit with power, but boy, he gets on base a lot. You got to get on base before you can score. So that's what—that's the one thing that he sort of latched onto that was his it changed his perception. And it, sure enough, that was that was right. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel on baseball and analytics anymore. Billy Bean went down that road. Irvine Ranch and the few water agencies that have water budget rate structures have informed the state that water budgets and that data is is the foundation. How many times do I get on base? How much water do I actually need Mm. for every parcel? So now they're going about spending the money in the state of California to gather water budget data, customer level data. Then we can turn that into all sorts of things. Programs, where's the most turf grass? We have the aerial images. We We can have the computer tell us and show us exactly where's all the turf. Well, then we go to those customers and say, hey, we'll give you a rebate to take out that turf. Or where are the disadvantaged low income folks in your community? We know that. We can layer that into a, the GIS system of water budget data and create programs directly for those customers in their area. Um, it's, I'm sure there are uses of that data that I haven't even thought of and that people will. But for the purpose of, of getting a water, people in a water agency to use water efficiently, I've seen it happen in a dozen agencies and they're all different. Different income levels, different climates, different philosophies of, their, of the boards and the agencies, the elected officials, doesn't matter. The data and the analytics and the water budget that turned into the water budget, the same thing happens in every one of these agencies. Stable revenue, more efficient water use, less water runoff, better water quality, satisfied customers. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's Make- just- that's Makes a, a lot of sense when you lay it out like that, you know. And and now we're going to be able to get it at that at the state level. Uh, and so maybe for people that don't know California water specifics, maybe we could take the zoom out a little bit and give what, what is how does water work in California? Like all these different agencies wow. and how do they interact? You know, wow. just a real basic picture just to lay that groundwork for people that might not be familiar. Okay. Um, every water agency that has elected officials is really their own little kingdom. Somebody asked me one time in Ventura County, um, well, who governs this water agency? And I looked at him and I said, you do. You're the voter. There's nobody at the state or someplace outside in Washington that governs that water agency. It's you, the voters. So that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good local control, potentially. Mm If people are educated and understand what about a little bit about the water system, it's a bad thing in that a water agency can very easily get arrogant and forget who they work for um, because they're sort of insulated. They're sort of their own little kingdom. And they, get, they might get reelected every year because nobody runs for those positions. Or in a public agency, it's not like the private sector where... Um, yeah, if you're maybe not doing your job up to a certain level, um, they'll let you go in a private sector. But in the public sector, not so much. So there's some 
comfort level there of the staffs. So they don't have to reach out and try to do something unusual or unique. Um, so status quo becomes kind of the mantra of a public agency. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not upset our customers. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. We're doing fine. Yeah, if we have to raise rates every couple of years, okay, that's, that's the lie. That's what we have to do. Um, and I'm not saying that water costs don't go up. Energy costs go up. Energy is a big part of moving the water around. Um, environmental regulations are uh, costly for water agencies to meet. All right, so there's a lot of reasons for water rates to go up. Um, one of them should not be that we sold less water or that people were more efficient. Right. That, that comes down to the design of the rate structure, how you recover your costs. So water agencies in general are their own little kingdoms because they are um, voted on by the local people uh, for people to run those districts. Um, they may have started as an agricultural uh, agency because that's how California started and the whole country. And um, uh, you gotta have water for, um, for food. So that probably meant groundwater and wells. And then as cities grew, uh, there had to be more infrastructure. Uh, Los Angeles is famous, especially you know, shown in the movie Chinatown, of bringing water from Mono Lake and draining that lake down to Los Angeles. So the water infrastructure became sort of a, a statewide kind of function, if you will. Um, even without though, a hub, without a central without piece a central coordinating place. it. So you could have some agencies cooperative and some sort That's of antagonistic. Right. You, you could, absolutely. In California, the Department of Water Resources is sort of the overarching um, uh, sort of water delivery system agency. Then there's a state board that is water policy. And as the state has grown, more rules and regulations have had to be added. And now with climate change, changes the whole ball game of, wow, we don't have the snowpack that we had 50 years ago, and we're not gonna have that same, that snowpack 10 years from now, it's gonna change, so how do we adapt? So hence, efficiency legislation, or other rules and regulations or policies that the state um, determines are needed to manage this whole system so we have enough water for people, for health and safety, for the environment. This is kind of the order of mm -hmm. importance, health and safety, the environment, and then other uses. Ag would be right at the top of that list. It might then come down to your, your personal parcel and what you want to do with that. Do I have a pool? Do I have a landscape? How do I, you know? So this is a, a question that doesn't really happen in much of the world because they either don't have water and never had a water system like we have, or, well, they haven't had the advantages that we've had. We've, we had a very wet period from about 1850 till about 2000. So we built our water system based on a lot of water. And we were going to have a lot of water. Well, that's changed. So that's going to change. And it, the, the real question is, how fast are we going to adapt? Right. I, I guess I was wondering what the different agencies and the sort of the, the fractured fiefdom Mm -hmm. nature when you have an allocation that's sold to one from one agency to another and then say that there's some climate changes and, and that snowpack doesn't exist or there isn't that flow in the river right how how does the rate structure budgeting how would that hmm. work into that so one of the pieces of that equation of a, of a water budget is the efficiency standard the number of people is what it is whatever it is the area that you're trying to irrigate is what it is the weather is whatever it is. Now it's, it can go up and it obviously changes. So there's flexibility there in that equation that changes inside of a rate structure or a billing system um, or at the state level with, with their allocations and their legislation. What uh, the one piece that's the most flexible is where do we set the standard for, for water use? Do we set it high enough so everybody can have turf grass? That's what we used to do. Um, that's unsustainable. So that efficiency standard starts to come down. The Department of Water Resources and the state are researching that right now. But when they, to where to set that number when this legislation is fully implemented in 2023? That number can change. It can change if drought hits us again, you can lower that number. 
instead of asking people to save 25%, you would say, hey, we're, our efficiency standard now is not 70% of the local weather. It might be 50% of the local weather. Or we can tie that efficiency standard to the water supply of that local area so that the water balance or the water budget in the watershed is consistent with the allocations that you're providing for all those people in that watershed, regardless of what they do, ag, urban, whatever. Is that sort of getting into redefining beneficial use? A little bit. Yeah. Could be. So I'll use one example that's been mentioned in Ventura County, for example, is are we growing the crops that are sustainable here? Maybe it's not avocado. Love avocado. Healthy plant, man. High value crop. Farmers love to do it, but they dump the water on it. Maybe that's not appropriate where it's getting hotter because they don't like the heat very much. So maybe a different crop. Might be vineyards. Might be something else. So that's a tougher question to get to and, and change to happen because then you're asking farmers to change. Change their, their business. Um, but you're faced with a choice of having not enough water for even health and safety purposes or having avocados versus a vineyard. Okay. So the equation that the state has for water budgets, which is the same as what individual agencies that I've worked with have, that equation is very flexible. And it can move with the weather, with water supply, but it takes data. Yeah, it's only going to get more accurate. It's only going to get more accurate. The, the better more data we have. The more data we have. How do we know what's underground? It's a big part of our water supply is that groundwater basins. So that's where that legislation of Sigma for managing groundwater basins is going to enable a whole nother batch of data to be added to this water budget picture. So, you know, I'm talking about, and I'm experienced with water budgets at a parcel level. But what the Watershed Progressive is doing and the state wants to have happen, because it's the right thing to do, is understanding the water budget for a watershed. Wow. And then you can go either direction, up from the parcel to the watershed. You can come from the, parcel, the watershed on down to a parcel. You're going to have the data. Uh -huh. And so it's, it's how you use it. It's just like the Oakland Athletics and Billy Bean. How are we going to use this data? We, we know this guy down in AAA gets on base, you know, about 40% of the time. Wow. That might make him a Hall of Famer, actually, when most Hall of Famers only got on base 30% of the time. So it's, it's data, but it's understanding that data. And in relation to what? Well, how about in terms of water? It's how much water we have in the watershed. And I really see the, the other benefit on the community side where before it was sort of like a, a spiral of distrust between mm -hmm. the customers yes. and the agency where they didn't want to communicate to their customers because they were scared. Or what they, and yep. So you're spiraling downwards and now it's sort of the opposite with the transparency and that the customers are, wow, you're engaging with the, the agency in a very different way. And it's, it's the inverse of that. You, you've really hit upon something that I think is really, really important and it it's it's never really discussed at water agencies, is the psychology of the rate structure on the customers who actually fund everything that happens at that public agency. Um, if you're transparent, if you tell them exactly what your costs are, if you tell them why you have to initiate some water efficiency you know, rate structure because we don't have enough water, and people understand that, they read the newspapers, they see the news, they, they go outside, yeah, there's drought, it's hot, climate change, they understand that. If, if a public agency, a water provider, can be that transparent with their customers, the customers don't argue back. They go, I get it. We hired you to do the work for us to make sure that we've got water coming out of our tap that's clean and safe, and it costs us a buck and a half a day on part of the bill um, and, and two-tenths of a penny per gallon to get that water. You're doing a hell of a good job. That's been the response I see in agencies that have water budget rate structures that have a better, more accurate story for the customers. We're telling water users the wrong story. We're telling them that water's expensive. It's not, it falls out of the sky. Getting that water to where we need it, that's what's expensive, that's the infrastructure. That's what costs. We gotta tell people that story. And if you respect your customers, you respect their intellect, 
you're going to tell them the real story. As opposed to, well, you know, water's really expensive. We didn't sell enough water last year. Um, even though, yeah, we, we, we ask you to save 25%. Um, uh, and we have to raise our rates. So people all across the state are pissed off at water agencies because you ask us to do something, we do it, and then you raise our rates. So we're being punished for doing what you ask us to do. Yeah, and then next time around, that's right. I'm not going to make that effort to save if you're just going to put my rate up. But in a water budget rate structure agency, you can have an efficient household here, and next door, the water's running down the street. They know that 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 customer is paying through the nose. So they don't they don't feel like they're being put upon over somebody else. They're doing what they think is right. That next door where the water's running off, maybe they just don't know. Maybe they don't pay attention. Okay, we'll get out there and help them. Or they're going to continue to pay those high rates, those tiered rates, and we're going to put that money into helping that group of people over there or that group of people or whoever. That, that, so water conservation programs in agencies that, are, that have water budget rate structures only charge water wasters those high tiered rates. So it's a very equitable system. And I can tell you, it's not the low income people that are causing over water problems. Right. They don't have a pool, they don't have horses, they probably don't even have a lawn. If they have a leaky toilet, we will, we'll be able to tell, we'll be able to help fix it and keep their water bill low. So a, a low income neighborhood is not causing the water supply problem but another neighborhood might, and that's who we can target with that kind of rate structure, as opposed to most agencies can only look at total water use. They have no idea if there's a big family, a small family, a big lot, a small lot, if it was hot or if it was cold. Well, you know, this water use is really high. That's not a measure of efficiency because you might have eight people in the household, and you may have you may live in a hot place. So yeah, you're gonna have higher water need. But we can balance that with the, the water supply that that agency has, whether it's local, whether it's local and imported, local imported and recycled water, farming. I mean, it also incentivizes the other tools we're talking about in this podcast as far as like rainwater harvesting, that Absolutely. sort of thing, gray water reuse. Absolutely. You know, so then you'd have that extra water to use and you're not going to be paying for it in your tiered. And the agencies that have water budget rates have their own local funds paid only by water wasters to have a rain barrel program or have a gray water program or whatever program fits that community. Leak detection uh, in homes. There's devices that can go on your meter at home uh, to see if you've got a water leak. That's going to be a low-income water efficiency program. Let's alert those people immediately when they have a leak. And we can do that with technology. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was our interview with Tom Ash. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I find this interview fascinating because it shows so many cool insights into how to incentivize regular people to act regeneratively as a default action in one of the most basic things we use, water. And this is simply done with the power of data, trusting people's intellects to understand the new system and good old social sanctioning. Because as Tom said, people actually responded more to the name calling than the price. They got more phone calls about this abusive name than about the actual money that came up on their bill. Which shows very well that in all of this regenerative action, if we reduce it down to just financial exchanges, we don't really hit upon the reason why people want to conserve. It just becomes part of doing business. While if we appeal to people's values, their self-identity and connection to nature, basically, they will actually start acting differently. And in this case, I'm mostly thinking of the carbon credit market where we have started to do exactly that, which is designed for demand, offering a way to just pay money for any sort of emissions that we want to put out. But in this entire space, we have to design for reduction. And that is done by creating really smart systems that align incentives of both consumers and the agencies that are administering all of this around reduction and then create these models in a way that they're very easily adaptable 
to variable changes from the outside as the environment around us changes. And also a model which can scale very easily to different sizes, be it individual levels or watersheds or bioregions. And I am very much in agreement with Tom that this is probably where our smartest design thinking will be done in the next few years. This is where we should be thinking of Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and now apply to the regenerative space. Aligning incentives, understanding the psychology around how to get people en masse into regenerative action while respecting their intellect and their ability to understand this. This podcast is a decentralized platform for the regenerative community. Anybody on Earth Regenerators can propose or record their own episode. So if you're already on Earth Regenerators, contact Jacob Seidler if you have an idea for a future interview or audio essay. And if you're not on there yet, come and join us for regular learning journeys on the pathway to regeneration, inspiration from the many regenerative projects reporting there, and a wonderful community woven around mutual support. Just enter Earth Regenerators into your search engine and find a website or follow the link in the description. Let's regenerate the Earth.